Do you own a Bible? Do you read it? Do you study it? Reading and studying the Bible can be a daunting task. Perhaps you've tried many times to develop a Bible reading habit only to drift away. Is there a way to dig into the Bible that is more productive, more fulfilling? Can a layman uncover the central doctrines of the Word of God, or do we need a trained teacher to lead us? Today on Craving Answers, Craving God, let's talk not just about reading the Bible, but how to read the Bible. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, do you think there is a how-to when it comes to reading the Bible? There's a how-to when it comes to reading anything. I mean, basically, I mean, the most basic level, you just need, you need to know how to read. But we also need to know how language works. And the main thing is you kind of need to know what genre you're reading. Like, if you're... Oh, and actually, this happened just recently. Uh, I just thought of this just now. My wife was reading a book, and she told me she'd found a list of uh, must-to reads at the beginning of this year, and it's a, a story of a, a, a Jewish woman who lived on the island of Rhodes, and she, she had it, she was reading this, and she she's reading this in the course of reading a bunch of different novels. Angela is. And she was halfway through this book, and she told me, she said, this story is not moving at all. And uh, the characters are interesting, but there's not really much happening in this story. The plot's pretty thin. And um, a couple days ago, she told me, she said, I was reading this, and there was I, I realized that some of the mi- a, a lot of the minor characters in this story have the same name, like the same first name. And I thought, why would a, why would a novelist be so confusing as to give minor characters the first same first, and then she realized, wait a minute, this is nonfiction. These people have the same first name because that was actually their name. And she'd been reading this book as a novel for it. She, she'd been working on it maybe a couple three weeks, and it just been completely weird to her. Reading it as nonfiction, she's thought, oh, this makes more sense now. He's telling a story of something that actually happened, and so. It's about this person's life, and so it doesn't read like a novel. And a lot of times we come to the Bible, and we're not really sure what genre we're, we're reading. And that's important to know what genre you're reading. And people um, people uh, read the Bible as, you know, they're looking for, sometimes they think it's a rule book, and so they open it up. Sometimes they, I, I've, heard, I've heard people, Christians, say the Bible is God's love letter to them. And you open it up and you read it. It doesn't read like a, a love letter. It doesn't read like a rule book. It doesn't read like a, a book of inspirational sayings. If you open it up thinking, I'm going to get my inspiration for the day. It's just not, it just doesn't read like that. And so to figure out what is the genre, that's the first key to reading. But if you can figure that out, I mean, it's just, it's basic language. It's pretty long book. Is it, it is all, long. Is it all one genre? Well, the, uh, uh, that's a great question. It is all one genre. It is a story. That's the main genre that it is. It's a narrative. It tells the story. It claims to tell the story of everything from the very beginning to the very end. Um, within it, though, this is, this is a good question, Chuck. Within it, there's a bunch of uh, t- tiny genres within it. So there are parts of it that are poetry. 
and there are parts of it that are uh, sermons. Parts that are history. Parts that, well, that, and that's, that goes along with it being narrative. The, the main bulk of it is history. It's a story of what God has been doing uh, in creation. Um, and, but, and when you get to these, you know, you get to a section where there's rules, for instance, and you'll get to a section where there's wise sayings. And that's what makes it a little bit confusing, more confusing than even the book that my wife was reading. But if you can keep in mind that it's a story and track through the narrative events that are happening, um, you're well on your way to understanding the Bible. Should a person read the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, all the way through, book by book, if you want to catch on to this story? What if you're bouncing around? What if you spend... 90% 90% of your time in the New Testament and very little in the Old Testament. Are you going to get the story? No, I think you should. Uh, there, there are pitfalls with reading it cover to cover, um, which we can discuss. But I think that trying to avoid those pitfalls gets you in more trouble than just living with the pitfalls does. Uh, reading it cover to cover, you can really get the story. If somebody's reading it, if somebody has been a lifelong, if somebody's been a Christian for a long time, um, I would say read it cover to cover, grapple with the parts that are hard to read because the narrative parts, the, the parts that emphasize the big story, super fascinating. Uh, even just the first book of the Bible is filled with um, uh, lots of plot, twist, great characters, um, betrayals, relationships, Fights, murder, lots of action, uh, sex, um, lies, uh, geopolitical, big geopolitical events. If you're like, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if if you if you read like that, you're going to be like enraptured with it, and then you're going to get to a section that's hard. And I would just say, keep on reading the hard section. If you're a new, if you're new to the Bible and you haven't read it before, I would say, uh. Find somebody who's familiar with the Bible. Here, here's what I would recommend you to do. Read the book of Genesis. You could read that. It's, it's, it's a page turner. Read the book of Exodus. The first half of it's a page turner. When you get to the book of Leviticus, I would, if, if you've never read it before, I would lightly skim it. And I, I would find somebody, find a, a book, a good book or a good friend, or you can email me. And find somebody to tell you kind of what, what's going on here. The, the book of Leviticus is, is a book about... Uh, tabernacle regulations. God decides to live with his people, to move in with Israel and set up shop with them. And then there's this book that explains how that's going to be possible, how that a God who's perfect and holy can live with broken people. And if you know that, you can kind of skim Leviticus and get the gist of it. God's got a, a way to make his people clean so that they can live together with him. Um, I, but I, I wouldn't skip it. I wouldn't skip it. I would still read it all the way through and um, keep on reminding yourself this is a big story I'm reading. Okay, so we've dipped our toe in the in the how-to question here. I think that the Bible may be unique in that if you're a Christian, if you're a churchgoer, you're going to hear lots of Bible readings over the course of the months and the years. You're going to develop a familiarity with it, and you may never, ever once crack it open at home. You, I don't think you can say that about any other book, War and Peace or anything. What do, we, what do I know about War and Peace? I haven't read it. I don't really know anything about it. But 
a person who's in church with some regularity is going to have a lot of exposure to Bible stories and Bible reading. And that may lead to, I don't really need to read it. I mean, I've, I've heard it all my life and uh, I haven't read it cover to cover, but I have a pretty good familiarity with it. So I don't read it at home. What would you say? Well, I would say if the Bible is, I talked about it being a story, this is definitely the case. Um, it also is, it is God's word. It's what it calls itself. All scripture is breathed out by God. One famous part of the Bible says to us, if it is God communicating to us, God speaking to us through this story, in this story, it's important that you be reading it and involved in it because that's the way relationships work. If, if, you know, talking to Christians now, if a Christian says, most Christians I know wouldn't say this out loud, although many Christians I know actually do this, you know, I go to church and so I, I don't really need the Bible. Um, I, I would say that's like saying I, my wife and I go out with friends every Friday night and, you know, whatever, we go to a movie, we go get dinner and we hang out. So I talk to her there and I, I don't really need to see her the rest of the week. That just doesn't make. It's not the way relationships work. Um, well, I thought I, we were talking about reading the Bible, not relationships. Well, it's the same thing. If 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 the, if the Bible is God's communication to us, then it's a relationship. It's an, it's a relationship in much the same way that like uh, uh, all the way more developed and and a lot longer that a text or an email or a snail mail letter is actually not just information, but it's a way to bond and connect. It's relationship. And so you just can't, I mean, the, the, the wrong, it's the wrong question. Do I need to read the Bible? That's the wrong question. It's like saying, do I need to talk to my wife? Once I've asked the question, like the problem is apparent. Just the fact that that question would be a question in my mind shows that there's something broken in the relationship. And it's somewhat similar. We're not talking about this this morning, but, um, uh, do I need to go to church is the same way. Once you ask the question, you know you're in trouble because, uh, you know, I don't need to talk to my wife. Uh, I don't have to talk to my wife. It's like a part of who I am. I, I wouldn't even say I get to talk to my wife, although that's true. But that makes it sound like it's a privilege, which it is. But the, even that, even that's not the point. The point is, is that she's my wife and we're connected with each other. And so what we do is talk. And same thing with reading the Bible. Like it's, it's it misses the point to say, do I need to do it? You should just do it because it's you and it's God, and why wouldn't you do it? Before we get into the details of how to study the Bible, are there any mistakes that ambitious Bible readers make that fall into the category of how not to read the Bible? Um, yeah, I mean, and it goes. I would say it goes back along the lines of what I said earlier about genre. Uh don't imagine that it's all going to be the same thing, and you don't need to treat it all the same way. Uh, if you're reading the book of Genesis, I would get into that and dig down into that. If I'm reading the book of Le Leviticus for the first time, I'm going to give it a nice skim over. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it as quickly as possible and get the gist of it. And you make a mistake thinking, I really have to like dig down into this and figure out what this means. I would just do a flyover. Um. A lot of times, uh, a lot of Christians I know, this would probably be their main main mistake is to think, 
I've got to get something out of this. Like, I really have to, like, have this inspirational moment. We don't think that about anything else we read. I would just read it. Just read it. Read it to enjoy it. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a friend who, um, she asked me several years ago for a recommendation for a study Bible. So if, if you're not familiar with a study Bible, is it's like a regular Bible, but it's got a bunch of notes, um, like footnotes that people have written in it. And sometimes the footnotes are actually more than the actual text. And they're basically explaining to help uh, help explain what's going on. And and for many people, they can be helpful. But she told me recently, she said, I, I had to get rid of it. I couldn't do it. I was just paralyzed with the footnotes. I would read and I would think, okay, I have to. It was almost like this psychological duty that I have to read all the notes. And I realized I'm not actually reading this. I'm like reading a couple words and then I jump down to read the footnotes. And then I go back up and I read a few more words and I jump down to read the footnotes. And she'd like stopped reading the actual Bible because she was just dragging herself through the footnotes. And so I totally agreed with her, like scrap that and just sit down and read it, read it for fun, read it in a huge, big chunk. Um, Another mistake is, well, and this goes along with the genre thing too, is assuming that because it's a written down work that it's meant to entertain us. If I go if I go to my local bookstore and I purchase a novel that I've been interested in reading, I'm going to assume that it's I'm going to open it up and it's going to be fun to read. It's at least going to be interesting, engaging. And if it's not, I think well this is not a good novel. There are some parts of the Bible again back with the book of Leviticus we keep on picking on Leviticus today, or I do. There are some parts of the Bible that are meant to be boring. The book of Leviticus describes the routine, the mundane routine of Israel's worship system. It's meant to feel boring. And so when you get into it and you're bored, don't think, oh, this is what's wrong. Like either I'm like not getting this or this is just lame. It's like reading a cookbook for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and that's what you do. It's a, it's a good That's a good analogy. I wouldn't – if I'm reading a novel and in the novel for whatever reason, there's a chapter that's devoted to the description of a dinner and its preparation – I would not read that chapter in the same way. Oh, Robinson Crusoe is like this. Anybody's read Robinson Crusoe? It's a fascinating story about a man who gets lost on a desert island. But there's huge chunks of that story that are descriptions of like how he built his hut. And you just can't read that. You can't read Robinson Crusoe like a traditional story. When you get to the hut descriptions, if you're not interested in the building of a desert hut, you're just going to have to kind of glide over it. And I would recommend doing that. And people get in trouble when they don't do that and then they – they get burnt out because they're trying to figure out what it means, and it gets boring, and it bogs them down, and they just stop. I would say just skim over those parts. All right, so let's suppose that I'm familiar with most of the Bible's great stories. I have a general understanding of what's in the Bible. I would like to begin a Bible-reading discipline, but my previous efforts to stay with it have failed. Let's do the how-to read okay. the Bible. Yeah. What advice do you have for me? Um. All those stories are good, of course. I would say that I'm a Christian. Connect them to the larger story. Don't read them as isolated stories. Read the whole Bible and find those isolated stories in the story of the whole Bible. And I'll tell you why. It's because it, it would be like you know reading a, a novel. I'm tr- trying to think of a novel here, uh, uh, like Huckleberry Finn by um, Mark Twain. And if you decided, I'm going to, every day, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs at random out of the middle of this, 
you would kind of get a gist of what's going on over the course of several years of doing that. But you still wouldn't have the whole thing, and you wouldn't know how it all works together. You wouldn't know where Huck was headed on the river, what the goal was, why he was on the river. Read the Bible. You can read isolated stories, but also read it as a whole. Read it from beginning to end. And I'll tell you, this is the big reason why this is maybe the most important thing I'll say in here this morning is when you read the Bible from beginning to end, you see that it's this grand story of God's desire to build this perfect world and how humans have fantastically screwed it up. But that God decides, I'm going to rescue my broken and fallen humans and the creation they destroyed by myself becoming a human and living with them, dying the death they should have died, rising from the dead, and by rising from the dead, infusing them and my creation with the power to be made new again. And so if I'm reading, and now if you're if you're not a Christian, you're not familiar with the Bible, this might be a little bit foreign to you and just kind of play along for a second here. If I read a story about, uh, you know, for instance, David and Goliath or Noah and the ark, and I just read that by itself, my temptation is going to be to just read that as some sort of morality tale. David fights this giant. and What am I supposed to think about that? Well, maybe it's supposed to help me fight my giants. Um, it's supposed to help me be brave when the giants of the culture of the world are against me or the giants of my bad circumstances are fighting against me. But if you read the story of David and Goliath in light of the whole big narrative, you'll see that what's actually happened is, is that God has decided to choose this guy, David, to be the person who's going to be the great, 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 great grandpa of him when he becomes a human. And so David isn't just a, he's not me and you. He's like the forebear of the Messiah, the one who's going to come and set things to right. And because of that, because he is the anointed one, the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah, when he kills the giant, it's not a story about me killing the giant. It's the story about God's plan to kill the giant through his anointed one. So I'm not supposed to look at the story of David and be like, what does this mean for me? I'm supposed to read the story of David and know God's got my back. Whenever the giants are out there and they're attacking me, God is sending someone. He has, from here on our perspective, on this side of Jesus historically, the Jesus event, God has sent someone to defeat the giants. It's not about me defeating the giants. And see, that's a, that's a mistake that people make sometimes instead of focusing on the big picture and how God sends people to beat our giants, specifically, ultimately, finally, Jesus. That's what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And you only get that if you can read, the, read it in the whole story. That may, be, that may be the biggest mistake for those of us who attempt to read the Bible, and that is instead of reading it to discover what God reveals about himself— we're constantly searching for ourselves in the Bible text. We're trying to—I'm trying to find me yeah. in this story or that story. Yeah, it's totally—that's totally true. Another side of that, too, Chuck, is that I'll, I'll talk to people who be like, "You Christian? I mean, you buy—you guys have the Bible, but the Bible's filled with all sorts of horrible things. There's people doing bad things. There's people. There's guys like just take David. He mistreats women. He kills a friend of his. Like." You guys act like this Bible is like this good book, but it's full of like nasty people. 
And like, if you've read the whole Bible, like in the story, you'll be like, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but David, was, people. yeah, David wasn't, he wasn't ever supposed to be like my model for good living. He's as broken and he's as screwed up as I am. David needs to be rescued just like the rest of us. And, and when you read the Bible, what you'll see is there are no good characters. They're all broken and bad people. There's only one good character, and that's the main character, Jesus. He's the only person who actually does right consistently through the whole story. So you're a preacher. You're a teacher. You teach Bible study. You do this every week. So maybe on the day where you're not feeling really like you want to study the Bible, you have to do it anyway because you got to get ready for the right, coming yeah. Sunday sermon or, or the Bible class. Um, if you had turned out to be a refinery worker or a coal miner, do you think you would have been as involved with the Bible? Maybe not as involved as a pastor, but a person who studies the Bible at home on, on your own time? Well, uh, I certainly hope so. I mean, I can't say what that would have looked like. Because um, then you'd be like the rest of us. Right. And what, what I'm encouraging everybody who's listening, Christians and non-Christians alike, is to get into the story of the Bible. Um, I'll, I'll be transparent with you. I mean, there are times when I study the Bible because I've got to get a sermon done and my heart's not in it. Uh, that's not right. Um, I don't want it to be like that. There are times when it's not like that, of course. There are times when I, I can't stop reading this. You know, First Samuel always gets me. First and Second Samuel always gets me. Like I'll, I can't stop reading. It's a page turner, and I'm loving it. There are parts when I'm overwhelmed with God's commitment to rescuing this world that's rebelled against Him, like that self-sacrificial love that loves me even when I'm I've I'm, I'm a turncoat when I'm a rebel against Him when I'm overwhelmed by that. I think that all of us go through that where sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's hard. It's like, again, in any relationship, sometimes like being married is a, it's a, it's a real pleasure. And sometimes it's a real chore and that's normal. That's normal. But whether it's a pleasure or a chore, I still go home every night and talk to my wife because that's who we are together. And the Bible's the same way. I some, sometimes for me, just like for, I imagine for a lot of readers, it's a real chore, and sometimes it's a real treat, but you do it because it's God for me. He's on my side. So I'm assuming that since you have bo both experiences, you know what it's like to sit down and read the Bible and just read it and just really enjoy what you're reading. Right. And there are other times when you sit down and read the Bible, either because you have to or because whatever the reading of the day is, Leviticus, you're, you're going to have to push through it. Right. Have you developed because of your discipline, because you need, you have to do this in order to be ready for Sunday, do you feel like you developed a how to read the Bible system that would work for others? Um, yeah. I mean, so a big part of it for me is prayer being tied up with it. If I just read it like for information, I'm missing the point. Just like if I, if, if I go home tonight to dinner and I tell Angela, okay, talk to me. Talk for a half hour straight. Tell me what's going on, what you're thinking, what happened during your day, and I don't say anything back. That's going to be a very, very stilted conversation. So when I read it, I read it, and I'm asking God as I'm reading it to speak to me. I'm thanking him for what he's done for me. I'm asking him to do stuff. I'm reflecting on what I'm reading and responding to him 
accordingly. If it's a hard thing to read, if it's like, uh, if it's something that's pointing out my brokenness, I ask for forgiveness. If it's something that's pointing out his greatness, I praise him. If it's something that's pointing out how good he is and how sovereign and in control he is, I'll ask him to, 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 for, to answer my request. But to do it with prayer is important. I also, for me, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have an academic Bible reading where I'm reading in order to prepare a lesson and have to do that as in a separate way to, uh, you know, relational Bible reading or devotional Bible reading where I'm reading it for, to, you know, to connect with him personally. I don't want that. I, I want those to be the same thing in my life, but because they, they aren't sometimes, I do have us outside of like sermon preparation or Bible study preparation. I do have a, a, a system of reading that's just purely for fun, for uh, and I shouldn't say for fun, but purely for relationships. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's hard when it exposes my sin. But um, uh, you know, I, I every day I'll read chunks of the Bible um, just because, just because I want to be close to Him. Let's talk about some scriptures here. In Matthew 4, Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy when he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We know that bread sustains life. Right. I don't know if War and Peace or Moby Dick sustains life or not, but apparently, according to Deuteronomy and Jesus in Matthew 4, Bible reading sustains life? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I, I think that, um, just a real quick side comment, I, I actually think that Moby Dick does as well, not in a different way, but we used to study in school, we used to do have to do the humanities. You know, you, when I was in high school, we had to read Shakespeare and uh, read John Keats and read Mark Twain, and we called those the humanities because we realized that studying history and literature and music in philosophy, that was all in part that that was all important to our development as human beings. Now we've gotten away from that because we don't care about that uh, as much. We care more about money and production, and so we emphasize. This is like an old right side of the brain person complaining about uh, the younger generation. Now you know who cares about that stuff. What we need is science and technology, which is super important. I'm not I'm not poo pooing that or downplaying that at all. But we, and that's a part. That's a part of being human too, is understanding how science works and how technology works. But you really do need to read. Uh, reading, and I know people are like, I don't like to read. Okay, we'll just do it. Like you know, I, it's, you should do it. It's it's a important part of being human. Now the Bible is different than those because it insists that it's God Himself speaking to us. So again, like I need to eat food to survive. I need to I need to gulp oxygen to live. I need clothing and shelter in order to not die from exposure. I need relationship with other human beings in order to be a social human being. That's, that's a huge part of mental health. And most importantly, I need the God who gives me all these things, but I need him personally because outside of God, I'm not as human as I would be with him. And so reading the Bible along with the other spiritual disciplines, along with prayer, along with Christian worship, along with uh, receiving the sacrament, these are all the, the all important part of like I need God to live. In Him, I have my life and my breath and my being. I can't live outside of Him, 
And a part of reading the Bible every day is an acknowledgement that like, God, I am in this relationship with you, or I want this relationship with you. Give yourself to me. I need you. So if you want to live, if you don't want to be dead in a week, you're going to have to eat bread or something. You're going to have to consume something. This scripture seems to suggest that consuming, if I can use that term, the word of God also leads to life. Yes. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12, quoting, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let's put that brick on top of the previous brick. It talks at first of the word of God being alive or living. How does that relate to uh, we sustain our lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God? Yeah, the Bible is on target since it is personal, since it is coming from a person, since it's coming from a person who knows me, who created me. It's able to be on target. It's able to live in my existence and address me, who I am. The Bible is so spectacularly well-rounded. It refuses to say one part of human existence is the problem. Like the problem with humans is is their physical existence or the problem with humans is their mental health issues or the problem with humans is their relationship issues or the problem with humans is that they lack material needs. It addresses all of these things in a rubric of brokenness being addressed by the wholeness of God, a broken, sinful world being forgiven and healed by God coming and living inside this world in order to rescue it. And because it addresses all these problems, it can find me where I'm at and pinpoint what my issues are. So concern about money. This is something that Americans, we just live with. Everybody's concerned about money. Everybody wants more money. I don't know a single American who doesn't want you more money. You think Canadians are not worried about money? I don't know. Any, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if they are or not. <laughs> I'll have to ask a Canadian, but uh, I do know Americans. I'm sure in the West it's an issue, but for I know for a fact for us as Americans that um, the desire for money is always there. So much so that even the most religious people are like, well, you don't want to do anything wrong to get money, and you don't want to be consumed with a desire for money. But of course, we all want more money. That's just normal. And then First Timothy, Paul comes along in First Timothy and says, don't desire to be rich because many have fallen that way. And I'm like, dang it. I actually want to be rich, and I like to tell myself there's nothing wrong with wanting to be rich as long as I do it the right way and as long as I'm not upset or disappointed or irrational if I'm not rich. Nope. The Bible nails me on my desire to be rich, and then it addresses me. It promises me the riches of Jesus, which is not just like spiritual riches, but Jesus owns the whole world. That's the solution to my need. And wherever it's at, you know, my relational problems, my health problems, the Bible finds us in that point. It's indispensable because it is living. It's able to find me where I'm at and address that issue. Here's a long quote. Bear with me here. The Apostle Peter wrote in his second letter, quoting, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. 
Now, if the Apostle Peter acknowledges that there are some Pauline texts that are hard to understand, how can the Bible novice or maybe even the Bible expert ever hope to become competent in personal Bible study? Same way we become, same way we become competent in anything. We, uh, there's always a learning curve in everything. There's always a learning curve. Um, uh, you know, when you when you were in second grade, oh, I remember my kids going through this. I don't remember me going through this because I was quite intelligent. But I remember my kids going through this. That was a joke. Where uh, they would bring home long division and they'd be like, I can't do this. I cannot. This is so hard. You, you know, and three or four weeks later, they're just doing it. And uh, uh, when I teach at the, at the local college, the, our, the textbook that we have is, it's not an easy textbook. But I tell the students one of the things that we're doing here in this class is we're stretching you. I'm not going to dumb this down so you can understand it. I want you to understand it, but I'm also going to stretch you. I I want your mind to be pulled so that more stuff can be put into it. I want you to grow stronger. And and, and this is just like, this is like anything in life. You know, a um, kid who plays on a football team, the coach says, okay, uh, you're going to work out in the gym one hour every morning. And the kid says, "What use is this? You know, I, uh, I'm not gonna. I can't use these weights in the game." And the coach is the smart coach is gonna say, "Well, of course you're not gonna use the weights in the game. That's not the point. The point is to stretch you and to build up muscles so that you can excel in the game. And when you work out, you're gonna work out harder than you have been. You're gonna push yourself to the breaking point because you have to. That's the way you get stronger and stronger." And so, you know, Peter says that Paul writes things that are hard to understand. I think it's important to say. It's, there's so much of the Bible that we're never going to understand. Just like there's so much of Angela, my wife, that I'm never going to understand. She, she's in, there's infinite depths to her, but I, I can't be like, well, I, I'm never really going to understand her, so I'm just going to like leave. That doesn't make any sense. The Bible's the same way. There's so many things that we're not going to understand, but the more we read it, the more we do understand it. The more we understand it, the more we see that there's new horizons, there's new possibilities of new territory we haven't explored yet. And to keep on letting the Bible stretch us to explore those new ter- territories further and further. Not so that we can achieve some sort of enlightenment, modernist idol of perfect con- perfect understanding. That doesn't exist anywhere. But so that we can keep on growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger and better and smarter and more loving and more kind and more like God wanted us to be. This is what the Bible does to us. It totally stretches us. All right. Let's wrap it up this way. We began, we kind of teased the prospect of how to read the Bible. Somebody is listening to us, and when we said there are people who have started Bible disciplines and have failed and failed and failed. So that person has been patiently waiting here for about a half an hour, thinking they have their paper and their pen ready, that they're going to get step one, step two, step three, do these three steps, and that's how to read the Bible. Obviously, it's not that simple, but can you give us something that this person can take with him or her today that will help them get started and maybe not fail? Well, it's kind of summarizing what I've already said. First of all, you just do it. You just do it. There's no three steps to being a good friend or a good spouse. You just, you just have to be with other people. You just have to do it, and you have to give yourself up to them. So just do it. Give yourself over to the process. I am going to do this. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say would be 
uh, uh, to read in genre, to be aware of what you're reading. When it's narrative, just let it go. If it's something like the book of Leviticus, like I've said, skim it. If it's something where it's like this real intricate teaching, much of like what you get with uh, St. Paul's letters, yeah, go slower, you know, but you have to pace yourself. Go faster in the stories, go slower in the intricate teaching, skim the, you know, the description of how to build the desert hut from Robinson Crusoe. So read in genre. And the third thing I would say is read relationally. Read with prayer. Just read knowing this is God speaking to me, and I'm going to talk back to him as I'm reading, and I'm just going to be with him. And however he is in his word, I'm going to be with him because that's who he is, and he's for me, he's on my side, and he wants a relationship with me. I think that answers the question. Dear listener, if you take some of the advice offered on this podcast in an effort to continue or even renew your personal time with the Word of God, let us know if or how it has helped you. Maybe you too have a suggestion regarding the how-to of Bible study. We always enjoy hearing from those who listen to Craving Answers, Craving God. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.